on America Can We Talk. I talk about election integrity, border security, healthcare freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. Coming up next, America Can We Talk with your host, Debbie Georgianos. America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgianos. I am so glad to be back in our Dallas studio. We have done the show remotely uh, from California for the last five weeks. So it's just great to be back in studio. My very professional staff, I want to thank Andrew for stepping in and producing the show today while my normal producer, Emilio, is out. So I'm um, just great, happy to be back. I have three great things I'm going to talk with you about. Uh, I'm just going to tell you quickly, they are call I called the first segment Bob in Europe. More on that in a moment. Uh, and what time it is in America. Bob in Europe, what time it is in America. Uh, the Paxton impeachment trial, which is ongoing as we speak in Austin, Texas. And a third very exciting announcement, which I will share toward the end of the show. But I am running. I'm in a political campaign. I will tell you more about that toward the end of the show. I'm going to start with first talking about Bob in Europe and what time it is in America. So I mentioned, I think, when I was in uh, studio for one week in July, that my husband and I had an amazing opportunity to travel in Europe and to follow the tour, the path taken by a group that's come to be known as the Band of Brothers. These are US military troops who trained in Georgia, who uh, people from all over the country, men who converged on a training camp in Georgia, and then they went off to fight in World War II. They went to London, they completed training there, they did exercises there, they met with Eisenhower there. And then they, so that's where we met up with a tour in London. And then it traveled across Europe uh, all the way through you know, France and, and Austria, it went into the, where the Battle of the Bulge occurred. And two weeks later, it ended up where Hitler's uh, hideaway was up in the Bavarian Alps. And the point of this tour we had a historian who led the tour, and I mean a really well-informed, substantive, serious historian. And the, the name Band of Brothers actually comes from a book that was written by Stephen Ambrose. He was a historian, and what he did shortly after World War II, he interviewed hundreds, and I think it was thousands, of U.S. military troops who took part, essentially, in D-Day who went to Europe with the notion that America was going to get involved in World War II. They parachuted in on D-Day. The Band of Brothers people parachuted in behind lines as others were scaling the cliffs of Normandy. And this troop became an amazingly close group. The book by uh, Stephen Ambrose, Band of Brothers, was made into an HBO special. If you haven't seen it, I strongly encourage you to see it. It is real life war being depicted, the real stories of these men. So we had an opportunity to go on a tour. I think there were 35 people, this amazing historian. It was the, every day was packed with historical sites and stories. And you know, it was, just, it was a really moving experience to realize 
the sacrifice, the bravery, the intensity uh, of what they had to go through to free the world from the evil of Hitler and the Nazis and the Japanese and the Italians. But anyway, the reason I want to start talking about that today is during the time we were on this trip, talking, my husband and I talking to each other and with other people on the trip, it became clearer and clearer that there are many parallels between what is happening to America today and what was happening back then, and even prior to the time America got involved, what was happening in Europe in the late 1930s and into the 1940s. One particular thing being, and I sent myself, I texted myself a little summary, and I don't know if I'll find it quickly enough, but I wanted to tell you this, this amazing story um, that was about the um, a number of times, and, and I, I had known this historically, but the number of times Winston Churchill tried to say to the British people, to the parliament, uh, to the people, you really better look out for this guy, Hitler. He really means the world harm. And you know, he, uh, you, I don't know what terms he used, but you can't negotiate with a guy like this. You can't make a deal with him. You can't compromise, you don't give in. And so obviously Neville Chamberlain did not agree. And, and, and fortunately, Hitler continued, proceeded to take over more countries in Western Europe because he wasn't really, no one stood up to him, not enough people stood up. And so you finally got Churchill coming to power, and uh, it was basically 1930, um, uh, 1938, Britain and Germany almost went to war then over Hitler's desire to annex part of Czechoslovakia, Neville Chamberlain flies to Munich, says, that's ah, okay, you know, as long as you leave us alone. So you had this, you know, this sense among people who were not prescient, observant, um, earnest, intelligent enough, like, like Neville Chamberlain, to recognize evil and to say, we're going to fight it now. Neville Chamberlain could not lead himself to do that. We all know the story. Finally, he brings Churchill in. I think he was, Churchill was brought in as the, um, if I don't find it quickly, it doesn't matter, but he was brought in under Neville Chamberlain um, as his uh, first Lord of the Admiralty, and eventually Churchill becomes Prime Minister in May of 1940. So, in the first point, uh, analogy to make is how what was happening in Western Europe was there was an ominous, serious, obvious threat. Not many people were brave enough to speak up and say, we have to fight it. It was too easy to concede, to give up, to think, well, okay, we said, you know, we were not gonna fight now, nah, but man, man, next time you do something, next country you take, and, oh, and little by little, Hitler really subdued his own citizenry. He subdued people of first, you know, the uh, close by countries, pushing further into Western Europe and into Africa. And people, too many people thought, well, if we just concede, if we just give in this, then everything will be okay and probably we'll, we'll be safe and he'll leave us alone. There was that analogy to make. There were also, and because I, I, what is happening to America today, and I'm going to run through many of the reasons I'm telling you this, what's happening to America today is that the left in this country, the Democrat Party, has been completely overtaken by Marxists, by people who believe in the tyranny of government as the ruling norm, who believe that government has the right to tell you what you can do about your health care, what speech you're allowed to have, what political knowledge you're allowed to have, what you cannot say. We're seeing growing tyranny right here in this country, right out of the American left in this country today. Tyranny in terms of changing the expectation of the American people over how much freedom do you have and what what rights, what, what avenues of life, what arenas of life does the government have a role in telling you what to do? And so you have people on the left capitulating, conceding to the left, 
thinking, well, we're just gonna let this happen and then we're gonna stand up. It's the same thing. I can make many more analogies. I wanna make another one though about Europe. One thing we learned about there was uh, in this with this tremendous historian. By the way, if you ever want to do this tour, it's called Band of Brothers. You can look it up online. We literally found out about it. I think like two weeks before we left, my husband found it and said, uh, I, "I want to do this tour." And so and and so we did. It was completely wonderful. I mean, every aspect of it was wonderful, uh, poignant, moving, informative. In any case, another one was a piece of this, which is relevant today, was there was an underground. There were people who didn't get, who either didn't have the capacity, the physical capacity to fight, uh, fight back, didn't know where to turn. And even when they watched their own government concede, they watched their own governments either concede or fall to the Germans, to the Nazis, the people still held on to, this isn't right, and we're gonna figure out some way to fight this, some way to stand up. And that's what the underground did in a whole host of astonishing ways, trying to rescue people, or Jewish citizens who were being persecuted, trying to warn people when the, the Hitler's troops were coming, to prepare them in some way, to help them get out of the way in time. The underground was an astonishing thing, and it really was a reflection of the human spirit, saying, we're not just going to concede. We're not just going to give in. So that was a tremendous, just a great stories. I, I'm, I'm watching the clock because I want to get to my three topics today, but I, can, I will probably, over the next several months, share more and more details and stories about our trip to Europe, but there were many, many analogies from this Band of Brothers trip that we took that I want to, uh, I want to point out to you how relevant it is today. Um, and another thing that's happening in this country, you know, the, um, we're watching the, the Biden administration simply trample on American rights, fail, fail to enforce the border, you know, exploit and continue to use election fraud, mock people who point out election fraud, is that more and more people are intimidated into silence. People see what's happening and think, well, you know, this isn't very good, but I don't think I better say anything. I think I'm probably safer if I don't say anything. So I'm just gonna sit back and because and, and, I don't wanna be the one who's mocked and ridiculed. Well, one person who isn't uh, being silenced right now, and I want to uh, mention her today, is a woman I happen to be friends with named Shi Van Fleet. Her, her first name is XI. She's, she is from China. She grew up in China. She grew up in China under Mao Zedong the Cultural Revolution, where literally the government killed millions of its own citizens and inflicted a reign of terror on the people in China, inflicted not just a, an alleged purification of communism, but a, a just a, a grip of control over the people, over the country. So people felt like, I don't think I better speak up. I'm pretty sure if I just say nothing, I'll be okay. But what, what Mao Zedong did in China, he turned parents against he turns children against their parents. He encouraged children to turn their parents in. He encouraged neighbors to turn their neighbors in. He succeeded in dividing the population, turning people against each other and encourage them to, t to turn in their neighbors. And you had to have purity of thought as to what the government under Mao Zedong, the communist government, said you should think about everything. So you couldn't say things that were not permitted by the government of, the, of Mao Zedong's Chinese government.
government, the CCP. You couldn't say things that, that they said you can't say. You couldn't believe things. You couldn't do things that they said you can't do. It was a, gri a grip of terror on that society added on into with just horrific violence, millions killed, and this the disintegration of that society, of the connections and families and communities, because the government took on that role. They lived out that role in China. So she then flees American citizen today. She's been on the show numerous times. She spoke at my summit two years ago, whichever one it was. She spoke at one of my summits. Um, she's an American citizen. You may recognize her face. I'm about to play a clip that she just did, but uh, she um, became famous because it was a viral video where she showed up in the state of Virginia to at a school board, and she was trying to talk about critical race theory, which is nothing other than absolute radical repressive Marxism disguised and dressed up as an effort to make things fairer among the races. But she recognized exactly what critical race theory is. It's Marxist, it's Marxist roots, the impact that it would have on people in the, in the schools, the children, the teachers, the culture, society. So she went and gave what became a, she gave a statement at a school board meeting, became a viral video pointing out critical race theory is radical, dangerous, evil Marxism, stop teaching it. And on top of that, because she, has, she began that and, and people surrounded her and said, my gosh, thank goodness you're speaking up. She is speaking up more and more and more how what she sees in America today is very much what she saw in uh, in, in, under Mao Zedong in China, the cultural revolution that she lived under. I have a short clip I want to play. She has a new book coming out. I'm going to tell you the name of that book. I just looked up. It's called Mao's America, like Chairman Mao, M-A-O, Mao's America. And, um, and, and she, I think it's called, the subtitle is Voices of the Voice of a Witness or something like that. In any case, Here's her video. This went viral recently. In fact, President Trump uh, retweeted it or retruthed it. So here's Shee uh, Van Fleet in her commentary today. And what she's getting at is that this government we now have in Washington is so radical, so leftist, behaving just like Mao Zedong's government, behaving just like communist dictators do, that she's calling out the arrest of Donald Trump and the whole parade of absolutely baseless charges against him absolutely baseless civil and criminal civil litigation criminal charges utterly unjustified absurd crazy would never happen if america still had a sane legal system she's pointing out that what is happening to trump is just like what mao Zedong did let's roll that clip please mr andrew i lived through the most brutal communist regime in china and i i witnessed a lot and now i will count one of the darkest moments that I witnessed is the day when the former president of the United States was um, indicted and mugshot in uh, Georgia prison. I have to say, I think America is quickly becoming a communist country and uh, our rule of law has been turned into what Marxists called proletarian dictatorship. The party in power is after its political oppositions. And it's not just the president, but uh, people uh, like activists, and they are now in jail. They are political prisons, prisoners in the free yes. country. Of okay, Mr. Andrew, I can't see you, but did the, our listeners hear her whole remarks? 
They did, okay, because in the studio wasn't coming out first. Okay, I wanted to hear that because this is a woman, I just want to think about who she is. She's in America, she's free, obviously, of Mao Zedong. She could sit around at home thinking, wow, this is bad, but what do I care? I'm not, in but she's speaking up at great peril. She's getting mocked, ridiculed, and uh, maligned, of course, by left-wing media, which is basically all media in this country, nearly all media in this country, but she's speaking up. And she's saying, she's trying to, she's like a Paul Revere. She's like a Winston Churchill, a Paul Revere of this time. She's saying, I know what tyranny looks like. I know what growing Marxist tyranny looks like. I recognize when a country is falling into, into under tyranny, is losing its rights, losing its freedom. She's very eloquent in pointing out that what she is watching today in America is exactly what happened with Mao Zedong, the turning of charges, the bringing out of criminal charges against Donald Trump for absolutely nothing. And I've been over on this show many, many times, and I'll probably have to do it again, but there are, I believe, three criminal cases and one civil uh, piece of civil litigation now pending against Donald Trump, and all of them, you can without, you, you don't even have to look up anything online. You could name numerous other cases, far more egregious behavior engaged in by a leftist, Biden for one, and other leftists, far more egregious behavior, absolutely nothing done about it. The loss of rule of law, meaning the government's using the power it has. It is weaponizing the government against its, its own people by locking up and just making absurd allegations, unjustified, against who is clearly the top runner in the presidential race for next year. And so you have President Trump, you know, who one handily, shockingly in 2016, despite the best efforts of the left to try to tell all of us he had no chance of winning. He had four years where, despite that the Republicans didn't support him in Congress, the Democrats fought him at every step, the DOJ, corrupt to the core, lied about Russia collusion and, and made his first term, his four years, very, very difficult because of false allegations. You have Donald Trump survived 2016, won in 2020, which is what everyone paying attention and actually reading data understands. And now Trump is clearly on track to be the GOP nominee here in for next year's election, 2024, that he'll become the nominee, or I believe become the nominee then. And you have the left turning its political energy, whether it is directly the Biden administration, the Department of Justice, or some of their cohorts around the country, same leftist mindset, which is they don't believe in the right of you, the people, to have self-governance. That is what boils down to. They don't care that the people chose Donald Trump because they like his policies, because they loved his pro-America spirit, because they loved his willingness to speak up on all sorts of issues where Republicans for decades have been silent. He spoke up about border, the border being porous. I mean, most people weren't even paying attention. He spoke up about the border being porous. He, I, one of my favorite moments of his presidency was during one of his State of the Union speeches where he looked right at Bernie Sanders and said, and America will never be a socialist country. It was a beautiful moment. He stood up against the, the rolling, the socialist, the tank of socialism just coming over, you know, just aimed at America. He spoke up on issue after issue, brought jobs back to America, stopped having trade deals that benefited foreign countries to the detriment of the American worker and the American family. And this is what the people wanted. They wanted overwhelmingly. This is why they voted for him. So you have the left in power behaving just like Mao Zedong, just like other communist dictators who get to power 
and they turn on their, the previous administration, cook up false charges, go after them as though they are the criminal of the century, all trying to convince the American people that the person they really want to be president isn't going to be viable. And secondarily, and maybe even more importantly, it is a message to everyone in this country. Don't you dare, don't you dare stand up for Donald Trump. It is why the J6 prisoners are being so mistreated. They're not being mistreated by our system because you know they were really especially dangerous criminals. They weren't at all. We're gonna to get to J6 more in a moment. They're being locked up in egregious conditions in Washington because the left, this is how leftists always seize power. We, and I, I'm gonna go back to make one more analogy to uh, Europe before I turn to my next topic. You know, we went through many villages throughout France and Austria and Germany and the Netherlands uh, and Luxembourg. And you know, you can see there's lovely communities rebuilt now after World War II and you see families and kids and you're, you're so struck by the idea in fact, it's kind of like my favorite movie, Casablanca, my favorite movie of all time. Until the Germans or the Nazis were at the doorstep, were coming into your city, people just continued living their lives. They continued taking care of their children, get the daughter to piano practice, make sure your son is doing his math homework. You took care of your children, your families, your pets, your garden, your job, your life. People just wanted to live life. And they did live life normally as long as they could. There's this noise in the background, you know, Hitler might be coming and the Germans might be taking over and they're really, really evil. But people just, they have the hardest time imagining that what was about to happen to them could ever happen. They couldn't see it, they couldn't envision it, they couldn't imagine that that would happen to their country. But it did. And in America, we have, and by orders of magnitude, more people, more reasonable expectation that America will always be a law-abiding country, a country with rule of law, a country where freedom abounds, a country where the First Amendment and the freedom of, of religion and assembly and speech, all those rights will always be there. We have millions of Americans who think America will always be the same. They cannot wrap their heads around the idea that actually America could change in a horrific, grotesque way. They just can't see it, and all they want to do is say, you know what, I'm just going to get home in time to get dinner on the table and talk to my daughter about how her day was and talk to my son about, you know, whatever you're going to talk. They couldn't imagine America could change that much. And you have that sense of vulnerability looking around in these European cities and towns and realizing until the moment, you know, Hitler and his troops were at the door, they just kept living life. And that's what's happening in America. Many people just keep living life. They just keep thinking, surely the left isn't as bad as I think they are. I mean, surely we're gonna have an election and get rid of this horrific Biden administration. We're gonna get back to some sense of law and order. We're going to enforce our border again. We're going to have the criminal justice system actually keep dangerous people in jail so that we can stop having so much crime in the crime-ridden inner cities. People expect somehow, even though things are amiss, everything will get back to order and be okay. But friends, it may not, unless you stand up and speak up. Much more on this I'm gonna to get to. It's gonna tie into my, my announcement at the end, but I do wanna turn and tell you something else and turn to this uh, story about the Paxton impeachment trial. Now, maybe you've not been uh, tuned into this issue as much as uh, we in the great state of Texas, but what is happening in the great state of Texas 
could happen to any elected official in this country. What is happening, again, back to Donald Trump for a moment, what is happening to Donald Trump is that the powers that be, the anti-American left, which is now utterly controlled by the Marxists and funded by many on the left who do not believe anything like the founding promise of liberty in America, the founding promise of the individual being the sovereign, the, the notion that individuals can have self-governance, that we're capable of support of governing ourselves. There are people on the left by the thousands and maybe millions who don't want that. They either don't think you are capable of having self-governance or they think you're not entitled to it and they're just going to fix that for you. They're going to take away your right to self-governance because they don't really think uh, that, that you, they think they'd make better decisions, they'll decide for you. And what you see in the prosecutions or persecutions, I should say more correctly, of Donald Trump is the rising anger of the ruling elite class. It's not all Democrats. There's a ruling elite mindset that has infected like a disease, has infected many elected officials in Washington and at some state level who simply think we can't have this guy Donald Trump coming along rocking the boat. We can't let him disrupt all the patterns of power we have established. We can't let him come in and say, we're going to enforce the border. We're going to have, you know, a, an actual immigration policy that fought that places and prioritizes the rights of the American people as preeminent. We can, you have a ruling cabal in Washington that does not want to be disrupted, and it's both parties. Democrats, because this is their goal, they actually do want to rule. They do not have any interest in your self-governance or in the preservation of America as founded. People on the right, not all, but some on the right, have gotten too cozy, too comfortable in their power, in the comfort that, bring, that comes them from their power, the wealth they've accrued, and they don't want some you know, outsider like Donald Trump showing up in Washington saying, no, we're actually going to represent the interests of the people. We're putting the people first. We're going to listen to them. We're going to honor them. They can't have that. So now on to what's happening in the gray state of Texas and Ken Paxton. So a very quick background if you're not a Texan, because I know we have listeners around the country, but Ken Paxton uh, was, and I guess kind of still is, the attorney general in the state of Texas. He first ran for office, I think in 2003. So he won, he ran uh, first as a state representative, state rep, then a state senator, and then he ran for attorney general. And he just was reelected last year uh, for his third term as attorney general. And, and last year, I'm getting at the point to tell you he's very popular with the people. He shares many common traits with President Trump. Very popular with the people. He does the policies the people want. So he was reelected again last year. And in that case, there was actually a primary. There, was, there were two, three other Republicans who challenged him in a primary. And so... You know, primaries, you have four Republicans in the race for attorney general. Ken Paxton's the incumbent. It did go to a runoff. And so you had Ken Paxton, who is the incumbent running again. And the other person was George P. Bush, whose middle name is establishment ruling class George P. Bush. So he ran. He tried to bring out all what he claimed was corruption, allegations of corruption, wrongdoing, blah, 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 about uh, Ken Paxton. So the voters had an earful. Anyone paying attention had an earful of what the claim was. Um, that George P. Bush and other established Republicans are trying to say they don't like Ken Paxton. Ken Paxton won that runoff 
against George P. Bush by two to one, meaning massive, massive support for this guy, Ken Paxton. So he wins the runoff. He's back as attorney general. And the reason the voters like him, I will tell you, I happen to, his wife is my state senator. I happen to know her. I know him. I've you know, known him for a while. He's, you know, he does the things that the growing patriot movement in this country want their leaders to do. He does not just you know, give speeches on one topic and then scuffle off to attorney general's office and, and engages in meaningless or relatively low consequence litigation. He stood up when election fraud happened in 2020. He stood up, he filed litigation, which in my opinion should never have been thrown out by the U.S. Supreme Court. I think they just didn't want to touch it. They found a basis. I think it was no, not standing. I think it was, yeah, no, they, they said Paxson didn't have standing. But the point is, Paxton fought about election fraud in 2020 because the people wanted him to. That's why they elected him. It's what they wanted him to do. So he stood up. His most, the most recent thing prior to what I'm about to tell you was he began a serious investigation of the biopharmaceutical industry. And basically, how much did they know about the great danger of the COVID vaccines before they continued to push them on the American public? So he's investigating the vaccine companies, their, their harm and danger, their harm to the citizens of Texas. He files litigation and stands up on behalf of the border and border security and the Biden administration's utter abandonment of the border. He speaks up on, I could just read you for the rest of the show, the kind of litigation he files. The point is, Ken Paxson fights on exactly the issues the people voted for him to fight on. They don't want establishment people. They don't want establishment candidates who will play the role of standing with an R by their name and not do a dang thing and not really stand up, not really fight on the issues that matter. People on the Republican voting base, in my opinion, the majority of the Republican voting base in this country were looking for fighters. We're looking for people who stand up. And that's what Ken Paxton did. So what happened in Texas, we have in Texas um, a, an odd thing where our legislature only meets for six months every other year. And so, you know, they, they still really meet all the time, but they can't meet in formal session except for six months every other year. So this year, and I can tell you exactly where I was. I was at some function. Uh, there was a speaker and I was seated next to a guy. I was a total insider in Austin. And um, in fact, he was a speaker that night. In any case, I was sitting there next to him. This is late, late spring. And um, I said, yeah, he's down in Austin, whatever, chit-chatting away. And he said, yeah. The House is about to vote, the House is about to vote to impeach Ken Paxton. And, and I, I really, I mean, I'm, to be really clear, I'm uber political. I read, I pay attention like nobody's business. And I had no idea. I said, what are you even talking about? Oh yeah, the House has been investigating Ken Paxton and they're about to impeach him. Now let me back up and tell you, the Texas legislature is majority Republican, meaning that the Texas voters voted in a majority of people who put an R by their name. So you have majority Texas Republican in the Senate, majority Republican in the Texas House, all the high level officials in Texas are Republican. And so this is a Republican House, you know, at the time supposedly going to impeach Ken Paxton. But let me just, so you can say, well, he must really, really be bad because otherwise, you know, you have the Republicans impeaching their own guy. Let me make a couple things clear. You've got to understand because going after Ken Paxton has many, many parallels to going after Donald Trump. In Ken Paxton's case, let me back up and tell you how the Texas House really works. 
in the great state of Texas, we have, as every house does, I think that the legislature has, you have a Speaker of the House. The Speaker of the House is kind of elected as the leader of the, of the uh, elected representatives who are part of the Texas House of Representatives. So while you would think that person would be a Republican, uh, you would be wrong. In Texas, what happens is all of the Democrats band together, as they always do, they band together, they find one weak Republican and say, look, we'll all vote for you, so all you have to do is pick off, it's usually about 12 Republicans, so you have this mass majority of Republicans, but the Speaker is chosen by this process year after year, the Democrats get together, they pick someone who's only so happy to become House Speaker and do and the bidding of the Democrats, even though that person is R by their name, and then pick off 12 Republicans who will, who will reliably abandon their voters, abandon the Republican Party, get behind this Democrat chosen speaker, and then that person wins the speaker's race. And to compound that, so you have, you know, this is the Democrats picking in a Republican majority state, the Democrats pick the speaker, this has been happening session after session. On top of that, once the announcement is made by that person that, yeah, actually, you know, I have the votes, I have a majority of the House members, then the other Republicans, instead of standing up in defiance and voting no, because you got picked by the Democrats, buddy, and we're not voting with you, they go along to, prevent, to present to the public unity. That's what happened. So there's actually a film about this, a documentary called The Texas Heist, put out by Michael Quinn Sullivan, who's joining me on the show a week from Thursday, I think it is, coming in studio, one of our Thursday shows, in-studio audience, he's, and he put together a documentary which recounts exactly what I told you. So Ken Paxton was not really impeached by Republicans. He's impeached by the Democrat majority and the Republicans who are really Democrats, but they still run with an R by their name because otherwise they couldn't win if they ran with a D by their name. But they run as Republicans and they act like Democrats. And so that's what happened. To back up what, what they impeached him over, all I'm going to say about this is this. There are there allegations that were made about Ken Paxton's, whatever it is, past business deals, you know, a variety of things. And so these, these allegations are made and... And, and so, believe me, the primary opponents went to town trying to get those allegations out there, trying to convince the Texas voters, look, you know, look at all these stories, he's a bad guy, you know, vote for me, I'm new. And the Texas voters decided, we like Ken Paxton because he stands up, because he fights on the issues we care about. He fights on the border. He fights on, on, uh, on all sorts of issues, on COVID restrictions. He fights on election fraud. He fights on the things we like a fighter, we want him. That's what Texas voters voted. And that's what they wanted. And so in the primary, even though George P. Bush spent a lot of money and a lot of time complaining about this long list of alleged occurrences, allegations against Ken Paxton, the voters returned Ken Paxton to the attorney general role by two to one. Fast forward where we are now. What the Texas House did was kind of like under cover of darkness without the Republican uh, voters in this state having any knowledge at all. They, in, in fact, they didn't even investigate. They, the Republican legislators, didn't investigate. They kind of subcontract, subcontracted that out, got someone else to look in and, and you know, get, do an investigation. The witnesses were not put under oath. I mean, can you imagine any other you know, trial of any kind, you put witnesses under oath. It makes a difference because they might worry if they're lying or exaggerating because they'd be committing perjury. 
no putting people under oath, no actual legislator involved. Uh, it was a subcontracted out. And then literally, it was a few days before the end of session, like three or four days before session ends for a year and a half, and the House votes to impeach Ken Paxton. Now, there was a significant holdout. Republicans did not go along with this, but enough Republicans went along with the Democrats. It was a simple majority vote. Enough Republicans went along with the Democrats, and they voted to impeach Ken Paxton. So what's happening today in the great state of Texas is that the Senate, it's just like in Washington when the House foolishly and ridiculously impeached Trump, then the, the, the way it works on the Constitution, then the issue goes over to the Senate to, to look at the, have a trial and decide whether or not, what, you know, whether or not guilty or not and what, what the consequence should be, removal or from office or whatever. So today in, this, in the Texas State Senate, you had the trial started. And naturally, I didn't, I need to go back and look at the names of all of the people at the House, the, this, you know, this Democrat with an R by his name, who is the Speaker of the House, Dade Phelan, you know, he's orchestrating all of this. This is Democrat-orchestrated destruction of the biggest fighter for the issues that people care about in Texas, which is Ken Paxton, Democrat-orchestrated removal of him, Republicans go along for whatever reasons they have, I don't know. But in any case, so it goes from the House, now it's in the Senate, and many people were hoping that the Senate would open today, and, and, there, and Ken Paxton's lawyers had many, um, you know, and many motions in front of the Senate saying, you know, uh, it was about, no, I mean, motion to dismiss, you know, insufficient evidence, well, all the things that you might think they would bring. But the Senate's apparently, I literally I'm hearing this and getting texts on the way down to the show today, but it appears the Senate's gonna go forward with a trial. And all I'm going to say about this is to understand how egregious this is uh, to the American people, um, to the people of Texas, rather, because this is a microcosm of the same thing that the Democrats are doing to Trump in, on the national level. So I'll tell you something else about this whole most recent session. When you elect a Democrat with an R by his name as the Speaker of the House, he's in charge of everything. He's in charge of what bills could ever get to the floor of the House. He sends bills to committees. Oh, he, he appoints Democrats to head key committees when the people tried to say, we are a Republican majority state, we want Republican policies running this state. That's what they said when they're voting, but he appoints, appoints Democrats. And so bills that he doesn't want passed or Democrats don't want passed get sent to committees with a Democrat chair to die, meaning no one in the legislature actually gets a vote on the floor. So the things this legislature failed to pass, short list, I can give you a longer one, this legislature found plenty of time plenty of time to hold this whole process and impeach Ken Paxton, could not figure out whether or not to pass legislation to protect us against the economic tyranny coming our way in the form of central bank digital currency. We have tyranny out of Washington. We had a great bill in place. All they had to do was pass it. The Republicans can find a reason to impeach the most popular statewide official, which is Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton, but they can't figure out a way to pass legislation to protect us from central bank digital currency tyranny. They couldn't figure out a way to actually enforce border control. They did a few more things, not nearly enough. They could not protect our grid. We have an insecure grid in Texas. We had a major problem with a big freeze a few years ago. There are simple and resolutions available, a simple piece of legislation. They couldn't figure out getting that passed. Now, by the way, the Texas Senate passed these things. Not all of them. Texas Senate passed most of these things. So you had election grid. They couldn't, they could not pass getting rid of the electronic voting machines. 
So these Texas legislators allege Republican majority, a whole host of issues, I can keep on reading it, but simple bills in front of them, they, school choice, they could not do, but they could find time to impeach the one guy who's standing up more than anyone else in the state of Texas for what the voters want. On top of that, I don't recall in the primary last year when Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton was facing primary challengers, I don't recall any of these Republicans who voted to impeach him on all, and, and I'm going to tell you one more thing about Texas law in a moment, I don't recall one of them getting involved saying, you know, yeah, Ken Paxton should go, you know, I, I support whoever who is challenging him. These brave legislators uh, did not have that kind of courage. I'll tell you something else, which is really fundamental to all of this. In Texas, there is a law that says you cannot impeach a state official for conduct that occurred prior to his election. And the Texas Supreme Court clarified that in a case and said that means you can't impeach a Texas official for conduct that occurred prior to his most recent election. So everything they moved to impeach Ken Paxton over was conduct that occurred prior to the last election. I mean, that alone should cause the state Senate to say, sorry, we're not going to do this, but they won't do that. They're, they're moving forward with a trial toward a potential removal of Ken Paxton. And you know, Ken Paxton, by the way, when you see polling, like in Texas, all the conservatives are regularly trying to think of a way, find someone to primary um, <clears throat> U.S. Senator John Cornyn because he doesn't really stand up for anything. And Ken Paxton is polling in some places like he could be John Cornyn, so you have the most popular with the, and I don't even want to say it's grassroots, it's the, it's the Republican voting base in Texas, but you're going to have the legislature of the Texas State House voting to remove Ken Paxton, voting to impeach Ken Paxton, is now in the Senate with an effort to remove him, and I'm telling you, this is not sitting well with the Republican voting base in Texas. And I, I won't say names, because I always say I won't, but I've had House members call me and say, who voted to impeach, who said, well, you know, you really should think about it. I mean, do you know what I discovered? I looked into blah, 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 blah. And my answer always is, what did he do since the last time he was elected that's impeachable? And there's silence because there's nothing. And they know it. But they understand, and they understand how popular he is. And they understand he's popular. It's not a personality cult. It's not a, you know, uh, you know sycophant thing. It is people yearning for a fighter. It's the same feeling you probably have, many of you have, about Donald Trump or maybe some other candidate for the presidency. You want a fighter because you can see how dangerous things are in America. You can see how dangerous the left is in America today. You can see how stridently they are cracking down on and literally literally taking away and ignoring the rule of law and the guarantees of our free speech, freedom of assembly, all those things promised in the First Amendment, the left has taken them away right in front of our faces. Where that things are that dire and that serious in America, we have a southern border with literally Chinese age, military, military age Chinese men coming over the border in droves, that kind of danger. And the only, and, and so what you want more than anything is a fighter. And the two, really, and my knowledge, two biggest fighters in America, Trump and Paxton, are impeached by the establishment cabal. The establishment cabal that doesn't like their power threatened, that doesn't like the few of the, of the American people speaking up and saying, 
actually under our Constitution, we are the sovereign, we choose the government, we do the voting, and we, cho we chose these people. They're willing to go to thwart the will of the voting majority in this country, or in the case of Ken Paxton in this state, to say, yeah, you little peasants, you don't understand enough. And so um, I, I do have an announcement I want to get to and do one more quick point on this Paxton impeachment. Um, there are people, I guess I'll leave a name out of it, there are people making the argument related to the Paxton impeachment that you just have to let the process play out. We have a constitutional process, the Senate is doing its job, you know, the House did its job, they held a vote, now it's in the Senate, we have to be respectful of the process. So all of you little peasants, all of you noisy people who are protesting this, all of you who are speaking up on behalf of Ken Paxton and are trying to get the members of the Texas State Senate and the Texas State House to listen to the people all of you people should just be quiet, just trust the process. This has been a rather serious message put out by very prominent Republicans saying, you know, this is unseemly, this is a dignified process, but they're following the rule of the, you know, the technical rules of impeachment. So all you people out there, you millions of Americans, and in the case of Texas, millions of Texans who don't want Paxton removed, just, just be quiet. We'll, we'll take care of it all because you know we're really in charge, and we're going to decide. We're going to overrule you if we want to, and you just need to take it. So I will tell you that I think you know that this context of everything that's happening is enormously consequential. The context of this impeachment of Ken Paxton in Texas, the context of this ongoing relentless attack on Donald Trump. The context is against the backdrop of the left on a rampage. America's already, I mean, you hear people, America's already over the cliff to Marxism. We're long on the way there. We, we are past, you know, flirtatiously discussing the ideology. We're long on the way there. We have much, we have courts that no longer honor the rule of law, that seem, don't even seem to respect the rule of law. We have criminals running rampant because the government won't lock up the bad guys. And yet we have people, January 6th people, locked up for doing nothing more than standing on the mall in Washington, D.C. and praying for their country. And they're locked up and they're facing jail time. We're in very, very dire straits in America. We're kind of like, back to Band of Brothers, the Western European countries in late 1930s into early 1940s, and, there, and, and the, the danger is coming. And this is, is more urgent than ever for patriots to get involved, more urgent than ever for people to stand up and speak up and not keep ducking and holding and hoping maybe everything will be okay if they just don't uh, say a word if they just kind of go along. I'm going to tell you a quick story and then I'm going to turn to the, my announcement what I'm running for. So um, as a on this trip, so we, we went on the Band of Brothers, and then we were also out visiting family, and, and we actually were working from California also, but um, I was reminded, I told this story, uh, which I had a friend make a comment about. So very quickly, so my husband and I, we had our, our wedding anniversary while we were out in California. And I was posting this thing about, you know, when we were dating, my husband, um, we, we, were, we were both lawyers in a big law firm in California, and we were dating that first summer uh, of dating. My husband was uh, teaching me how to swim in the ocean. And he, you know, grew up out in California. He, is, he can, you know, catch really big waves and body surf. I, you know, I don't could do that. But I got a boogie board, and my husband was teaching me how to go way out and catch waves when they break. And so it's really fun. So boogie boarding is so much fun. 
not surfing, but boogie boarding. So he taught me this. And one, at one point, when we're first working on getting out in the deeper and deeper ocean, the waves are bigger, I'm getting flattened by waves over and over. My husband finally said, listen, either jump down, either crouch down, you know, duck down, or jump up. You, know, you can either dive through the wave, you can crouch down or jump up, but don't just stand there and get knocked over, over and over. So I put that as kind of a funny story um, on some social media. A friend of mine said, yeah, it's kind of, kind of making the analogy to what you see when you see danger coming to America. You can duck and hide. You can try to get through it without, you know, or, or you can just stand there and get flattened by the loss of the rule of law, by what the left is doing to America, or you can jump up and stand up. And so that I, I, I use that in several other things I was doing, that this idea that, you know, when a big wave is coming at you, don't just stand there and get flattened. Get up and get in the fight. Or at least, you know, if you're gonna, if your best answer is duck down and hide, understand everyone who ducks down and hides, you're just gonna get hit again, hit again, hit again. The, the learning the lesson of standing up and fighting is needed right now in America. It's not a perfect analogy, but it's kind of a funny story about our life and, and um, our marriage and what that first summer when I learned how to boogie board and catch the waves. Okay, I'm gonna turn to our last topic for today, um, and that is uh, what I am doing, why I'm running. So. I am announcing today, I'm announcing that I am running for RNC committee woman. And this is a, um, I have began this campaign kind of quietly over the summer, but this is my official announcement today. I'm announcing that I am running for RNC committee woman for the state of Texas. I have a website for that, and I really urge you to go and check out the website because it has a lot of information. It's called DebbieGForRNC.com. If you can see this show, it's on the screen. But if you're just hearing this, you can go to Debbie, D-E-B-B-I-E, G, the numeral four, RNC.com. That's my website. And I want to tell you why I'm running and why I'm doing this. I think it is past time in America. It's past time for, for many of us to just decide we're going to, you know, the big wave is coming, the left is coming, they're, they're you know, knocking us over on issue after issue. It's time to stand up and fight in this country. I am running for RNC committee woman to stand up for the Republican base voters in this country who feel like no one listens to them. No one is standing up for their country. We have a Republican party too submissive, too complacent, too trying to get along, too functioning as though we're in the 1970s or something. We have the aggression of the left and the complacency of the right. I want the RNC and the Republican party to stand up for the Republican base voters who are striving and fighting to have their voices heard. There is a strong and a desperate sense in this country that you don't, we don't have representation really in Washington anymore. I am talking about the Republican voting base who are vital to making any Republican victories even happen. The Republican voting base in this country needs fighters. They need people to stand up and speak up and challenge the establishment class, the ruling class. The sense America is in deep trouble. We're being pushed over a cliff into collectivism and Marxism and, and tyranny of the left, silencing our speech, weaponizing government against the people. 
and there is no sense or perception that the RNC or the Republican Party more broadly is fighting. There's even no a, a great concern the RNC, the Republican Party, don't even see what's happening. They don't even recognize what's happening. They don't even see the threat to America. And it's back to like, you know, uh, Churchill and the whole issue with the, uh, when Hitler was on the rise um, in, in, in Germany and we have Churchill over there and other people were saying, hey, this guy's a problem. You know, the idea that you can have people in elected office who don't see the problem, can't perceive it, don't appreciate it, or don't want to make waves, don't want to get in the fight. There is a huge, I would say, majority Republican voting base in Texas and in America that wants to see and hear fighters emerge to point out the danger of what the left is doing to this country, to call it out for what it is. This is a collectivist Marxist takedown of America happening before our eyes, and they want to see the Republican Party, the only party that, that is rooted in the ideas of America's founding freedoms, the party that supposedly believes in the ideas of the Declaration of Independence, believes in the idea of the rights of the individual, believes in self-governance, believes that the people are the sovereign, believes all the promises of the Declaration, that we have God-given rights, that our country is unique because it's founded in God-given rights. Republican voters around this country want to see and hear Republican leaders stand up and speak up and call out the danger of our times, call out the danger the left is creating to this country, and call out the Republicans who keep on functioning and speaking as though the entire big, the biggest issue we have to talk about is some tax rate change, some minor change. We're in a war for the preservation of America. We're in a war, an internal war right now in America for the preservation of the freedom of America, the freedom of the people of America. The RNC has the capacity, the potential to be more of a voice for the Republican voting base in this country, to speak up for Donald Trump, to speak up for the fact that he is a, a victim of political persecution by the left, that he is being, that he is being treated and, and the government itself is conducting itself in the same way that rising communist leaders do throughout the world, that Donald Trump is a victim of that level of persecution. We need the RNC to speak up on a whole host of issues more boldly, more firmly, more resolutely, and, and, and capture the spirit of what the Republican voting base already sees. You know, it's very possible in some countries as sometimes in history, that the people, the citizens, are more awake, more perceptive, more uh, aware of what is happening to their country, and they are leading the alleged leaders into seeing it. And that's where we are today. The Republican voting base around this country is watching and waiting for strong leadership to emerge at more levels within the Republican Party to stand up not only against what the left is doing, which is the absolute teardown, takedown of America. They're looking to see the Republican Party. Do they have the will, the capacity, the determination, the bravery, the strength to stand up and fight? It's not a fight between Republican and Democrat as much as it is America or not America. Freedom or collectivism, Marxism, communism, socialism, whatever you want to call the left's garbage. You have freedom or you have what the left is doing. 
This is a fight in our country today to stand up for America, and that's why I'm running for the RNC. I'm running for a National Committee woman from Texas. In addition to our website I shared with you a moment ago, we also have a Facebook page just launched today. So uh, literally right before we went on air, just launched today. So it's uh, the Facebook page is Debbie G. The numeral four RNC, WG for RNC, is literally just live before I came on air today. So uh, we're, we're going to put posts up. I'm going to begin posting some of the incredibly wonderful endorsements I've received. I did reach out to several of my um, colleagues, people I've worked with over the years, uh, elect, some elected officials and candidates and um, very prominent conservatives are speaking up to endorse my campaign. I'm going to begin sharing those on Facebook and on Twitter um, and on our website because I want to show you the kind of people, the kind of voices who are speaking up for my campaign. If you'd like to endorse my campaign, that'd be wonderful. You can go to debbiegforrnc.com. Very simple process, debbiegforrnc.com, and you can hit endorse, you can fill in your name, and you can just put your name, or you can add a title, you can add a message. Love to have your endorsement. And of course, we're gonna be eventually fundraising because it's very expensive in a, in a massive state like Texas to travel around and meet the number of voters and influencers I need to meet um, to win this race. This is an election that actually occurs uh, next year, in May of next year, at the Texas GOP Convention, which is in San Antonio. So it's a vote of the delegates to the Texas State GOP Convention. That's how the process works. Much more on that website about the process and everything else. But I'll close by saying, I am so excited to be doing this race. I wasn't sure this was going to be a race. I mean, I wasn't sure. I thought about it a long time. I prayed about it. I talked through with my husband. I am so on fire doing this race. I am grateful I'm doing it. I am ready for the fight, and I love, love your support. So I close the show every day by telling you why the stories I talked about today matter to you. So we put them up on the screen. I believe we have them. There we go. We have them. Okay. So. Um, we started talking today about continuing inspiration from the Band of Brothers. The Band of Brothers responded to a clear physical assault on America and freedom. They knew their cause was just and righteous. They were not fearless. They fought despite their fears, which is courage. They were aided by an underground of support from common people. Could the carnage they faced have been lessened if Churchill's warning had been heeded? Yes. America in 2023 is under all-out assault, more comprehensive than World War II. The war is far more mental than physical versus leftist mockery mobs, mainstream media snobbery, elitism. Abundant warnings are being shouted from the rooftops. An underground MAGA patriots has solidified and is now above ground. Plenty of fear among Americans, but growing evidence of courage to act in spite of the fear. Stakes and stark choices are clear. The leftist assault on America must be defeated. On the Paxton impeachment trial, context matters. Ken Paxton defeated rhinos at every stage of his career, and they hate him for it. Paxton, as AG, has gone after election fraud. He's investigating Big Pharma, and the ruling class hates him for that, too. Grounds for impeachment were well known well before the November 2022 election. Texans spoke clearly with their votes. They want Ken Paxton as their attorney general. In this context, impeachment is a barely disguised ruling class attempt to overrule Texas voters. Texas House is run by Democrats. 
You'll hear more about that from the uh, Michael Quinn Sullivan documentary, The Texas Heist. Texas House did not pass legislation to meet conservative priorities, but they had time for an ambush impeachment sprung at the end of the session. Nothing about the impeachment process was transparent, fair, or consistent with due process. The Texas Senate should dismiss the impeachment of charges for flagrant violation of due process. If the Texas House is really serious, then reinitiate impeachment proceedings openly by the state representatives on the record under oath with defense. And finally, I'm announcing I am running for RNC committee woman. I'm running for RNC committee woman for Texas. The election will be conducted at the Texas GOP convention in May of 2024, a four-year term serving in a 153-member group. The new website is debbiegforrnc.com, full of details of who I am and why I'm running. American patriots must stand up and fill every lane needed to restore this country. The RNC committee woman for Texas is a lane I feel uniquely qualified to fill, so I am stepping up to fill it. The RNC must be newly and freshly connected with and responsive to and respectful of the MAGA base voters, and I intend to be a force to make that happen. I welcome and treasure any and all support from America Can We Talk listeners, please go to my website and get involved. And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Our Thursday guest this week is happens to be my U.S. Congressman, Keith Stealth. He'll be in studio for a full hour. We'll have our in-studio audience. Uh, he has been one of the stalwart, brave Republicans in the U.S. House. Uh, can't wait to talk to him about all sorts of serious things. Love to have you tune in Thursday. I will tell you, this time, I am moving America Can We Talk to two days a week. For many years, it's been four days a week. But this RNC campaign, I am really putting, pouring a lot of energy into that. So I'm changing, moving the show, at least for now, to two days a week, Tuesday and Thursday. Please check out our website, wherever you are listening, check out our website, americacanwetalk.org, and also check out my RNC website, debbiegforrnc.com. I love doing this show. I love speaking up for America, and I do this show. Every dime, every show I've ever done, I do it to speak up for America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. America, can we talk truth about America? Can